the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And news, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Notice that in the first verse of the book, we're told the name of Jonah's father. His name was Amittai. Now, that certainly sounds like he was a historical person because only historical people have historical fathers. Parables don't have historical fathers. Allegories, fables don't have historical fathers. And this isn't the only time that Jonah and his father are mentioned in Scripture as real figures in history. Welcome to Verse by Verse, where Pastor Steve Kreloff is going to be telling us the best fish story in the Bible. He's beginning a brand new series of messages out of the Old Testament prophets on the book of Jonah. This is a real story about a real fish and a real man who has a real attitude problem, just like we do. He didn't love everybody around him. He didn't always like doing what God asked him to do. Doesn't that describe us some of the time? Maybe the problem is that we think God should have the same attitude as us. That was Jonah's problem. He thought God should destroy the Assyrians instead of saving them. He didn't appreciate the fact that God wanted to offer them an opportunity to repent. Today we are going to see God's love in action, not just toward the lost people of Nineveh, but toward everyone who takes part in this amazing story. It's a good thing never to forget that God loves you too. Now here's Pastor Steve. Someone once asked an artist to paint a picture of a decaying church. When the work was finished, though, many people were quite surprised and astonished because they had expected to see the, a picture of an old, dilapidated, crumbling ruin. Instead, the artist had painted a magnificent building with richly carved furniture, an impressive organ, and beautiful stained glass windows. Now, within the entrance of this grand building, the artist had painted an, an elaborately designed offering plate above which hung a box designated foreign missions. And directly above the slot through which money was to go for foreign missions was a huge spider's web. It had obviously never been used or been many years since it was used. You see, what the artist wanted to convey, and rightly so, was that a decaying church is a self-indulgent church. A decaying church is a church that is concerned only about its needs, its interests, its comforts, its self-focused interests, rather than a church that's concerned about faithfully proclaiming the gospel to others. See, a decaying church is a church that doesn't care about anybody but itself. It doesn't care about people who are lost and on their way to a Christless eternity. It's a church without any compassion for the salvation of the unsaved. Now, last week, we looked at Romans 1, and we discovered that the Apostle Paul definitely teaches that, that everyone without Christ is lost, and he says they are without excuse. In other words, there is no one who will have a valid excuse before God to say, you know what, I never heard the gospel. I was in a part of the world that the gospel never penetrated, but if I'd heard 
I would have come to you. I would have repented of my sins. I would have trusted Christ. And Paul says that's not true. That's not true because if they did not repent with a little bit of light, then why would you think unless God did a miraculous work of grace in their hearts that in and of themselves they'd come to him if they had more light? And so Paul says there are none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who's seeking after God. They are lost, they are without excuse, and man left to his own ways will only sin more and more against the light that he has. He will become a speculative philosopher rather than a true worshiper of the one true God. And so we establish the fact that that man is lost, and you need to know that. You need to understand that you'll never have a heart for missions and evangelism if you still think that people somehow make it apart from faith in Christ. They are lost, and unless the gospel penetrates their hearts, they will die in their sins and go to hell forever and ever. Now today, we want to study a specific book of the Bible that highlights and illustrates God's heart of compassion for the lost. In other words, it's only part of the message to say that that people are lost without faith in Christ, but it's the other half of it to say that God has a heart of compassion for the lost and wants us to reach out with the gospel. He has a heart of compassion, especially for those unreached groups of people who have yet to hear the saving message of the gospel. And so starting this morning, we want to catch a a glimpse of God's heart of compassion for the lost by looking at the book of Jonah. So I'd like you to turn to the book of Jonah. And if you're not quite sure, where is it? It is in the Old Testament. It follows right after Amos and Obadiah. Obadiah is a very small book, and Amos is a little longer, and it comes right before Micah. So um, I hope that is helpful for you. It's a small book. It's only four chapters, but it is a powerful book. Now, when Christians tend to, to hear the, the word uh, Jonah, and when they hear that they're going to study the book of Jonah, usually it exposes the fact that they have a rather superficial and surface understanding and knowledge about the book of Jonah. In fact, I think it's safe to say that everyone who's been exposed to any kind of church, any kind of Christian-oriented church, or has been to Sunday school, knows that Jonah is the man who was eaten alive by a fish and then vomited three days later. He didn't vomit, the fish vomited. He vomited Jonah out three days later, but that's as far as it goes. Most of us don't know anything more about Jonah in his book than the fact that, that he was swallowed, swallowed by this huge fish and then spit out <clears throat> three days later. And that's really a shame. That's too bad because Jonah is a Bible character who is really worth knowing. He, uh, he, he really has a great deal to teach us. In fact, not only is he one of the most interesting of Bible characters, but the book that he wrote is extremely rich in deep theological content. And though Jonah lived about 750 to 800 BC, the main theological message of his book is one that is extremely relevant for us today. See, Jonah was a very unique Old Testament prophet, unique because he was called by God to minister outside of the boundaries of of Israel. All the other prophets were called to minister within the boundaries of Israel, except those who were taken away in the captivity. They had to, by force, minister outside of Israel. But Jonah's the only one who was specifically commanded by God to get up and go to a foreign country and preach to an unreached people group. God sent him to preach repentance to a group of extremely wicked Gentiles. They, they were the citizens of the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was at that time the capital city of the great Assyrian empire. But instead of obeying God, 
and doing what he was told, go to Nineveh and preach, Jonah rebelled against him. He rebelled against the Lord, and he tried to flee from the presence of the Lord so that he wouldn't have to preach to these people. He didn't want to preach to them. And the entire book then is centered around this one episode in Jonah's life. It's an episode of rebellion of Jonah concerning preaching to the Ninevites. Now, although the book doesn't specifically say that Jonah is the author, it certainly gives that impression. In fact, it gives that definite impression since it gives firsthand accounts of someone, uh, of some very unusual events in the life of the prophet, which would seem to be best communicated by Jonah himself. And if that's the case, and I certainly believe that it is, that Jonah is the author of this book, then what we have in the book of Jonah is a very honest confession of a true believer admitting his own prejudices, his own stubbornness, and his own rebellious lack of compassion towards foreign people. And therefore, the purpose of this book then is to pass along the lessons he's learned about God's compassion to us. In other words, this book is designed to to teach us not to be like Jonah. Don't be like me, Jonah saying, prejudiced, stubborn, rebellious, non-compassionate, non-merciful towards the lost. So the book of Jonah is really designed by God to be a rebuke, first to the to Old Testament Israel, and then now to us, the church, as a rebuke about a lack of genuine concern for the spiritual welfare of other people, especially foreigners. You see, understand this, Jonah's book is not about rebellion in general, although there are certain valid applications that pertain to any form of spiritual rebellion. You can certainly apply it there. But this book is specifically about a a certain type of rebellion, a rebellion that gets angry with God, that's mad at, at, at God for bestowing his mercy upon evil people instead of pouring out his wrath on them. And the irony of the book, and this book is filled with irony, but the irony of the book of Jonah is that God teaches us how really compassionate he is to the lost and how desirous he is to save them through a prophet who has no compassion. In fact, he's the worst example in scripture of any believer concerning compassion. He is the antithesis of compassion and mercy, the most vivid example in the Bible of a non-compassionate believer. And that's why this is such an important book for us to consider especially in light of the fact that the focus and emphasis of our of our global outreach conference this week is on reaching unreached people groups. And listen, if ever there was an unreached people group, it's the people of Nineveh, the people of Nineveh. And so this book is quite relevant for us because it addresses a foundational need that every one of us must have if we're to receive the truth about missions and evangelism. That is, we have to have a heart of compassion that really cares about the lost, a heart that that reflects God's attitude towards the lost. Because if that doesn't matter to you, if you do not have this kind of a heart and you really don't care, then all that you're going to be exposed to this week, and you'll be exposed to a lot, you'll be exposed to a great deal of information about unreached groups and creative ways to reach unreached groups. You'll be told about resources and all that. Listen, it, all the information you can gather will, will do you absolutely no good if you don't first have a heart of compassion. And so to teach us the great truth of his compassion for the lost, God chose the most unlikely candidate he could have chose, Jonah, the most non-compassionate, reluctant, rebellious prophet missionary. And it's important to keep in mind that although this book mentions 
Jonah many times. He's really not the focus of the book. He's, he's quite frankly a secondary character on the pages. The real focus, the principal person in this book is God himself because the book of, of Jonah has a primary message around which everything revolves. And that primary message, as we've already seen, is that God has compassion on the lost. And the way this little book communicates it is that there are four chapters in the book and each chapter illustrates and highlights a specific demonstration of God's kindness in action. And all designed to drive home the lesson to us that we need to have the same kind of compassion. Now, let me just tell you how the how this book breaks down. I'm going to give you the big picture so you'll know what's in store for us this week. In chapter one, which we will see this morning, we see God's compassion illustrated in the lives of some some pagan sailors. I don't want to give away what we're going to study, but that's what we'll look at. God shows his compassion to pagan sailors. We're going to see in chapter two how compassionate God was to the prophet Jonah. Because Jonah was thrown into the sea, into the Mediterranean Sea, where there was a raging storm, and he should have drowned. But he didn't, because God sent a a fish, a great fish, a huge fish, to swallow the man alive and keep him from drowning. Folks, that's all designed to teach Jonah, and by way of application, us, God's mercy and compassion. On people that you and I might have said, I think if I was on that boat, I would have said, good, good riddance. We don't need prophets like this. And so I'm preaching to myself as as well as you, but God was not like that. In chapter 3, we're going to see God's compassion is seen in his withholding of judgment upon the wicked Ninevites, and they were extremely wicked. And yet, chapter 3 is, uh, that's the real, the great miracle in this book, and it's not the fish that swallowed Jonah. Chapter 3 tells us the greatest miracle is that an entire city was converted, a wicked city. The greatest revival in all of history took place in Nineveh. And in chapter 4, we'll see God's compassion as seen in a lesson he gives Jonah about a simple, ordinary plant that provided shade for the prophet. So I hope that you'll come out each night and study this with us. And so the book of Jonah is far more than a miraculous story about a fish swallowing a man. As we've already said, it was originally written about 2,800 years ago as a rebuke to ancient Israel for her lack of concern for the Gentile peoples of the world. And remember this, Israel had no problem with God's mercy, no problem with his compassion. In fact, they loved the fact that God was gracious and kind to them as a people. They, they loved to be the recipients of God's covenant promises. But Israel had a very difficult time thinking that God should be merciful to the Gentiles. They thought that life revolved around them as the Jewish people. And the fact that God would show his same mercy to a wicked Gentile people who hated Israel and would eventually try to destroy them, that was unfathomable to them. And though written in ancient times, Jonah's message to us remains appropriate because just like Old Testament Israel, we rejoice in God's mercy and God's grace in Christ, don't we? We're thrilled about that. We praise him for that. But sometimes in our pride and in our arrogance, we're not, we're not interested. We don't want him to go to the lost. We don't want the gospel to penetrate. And sometimes in our laziness and in our complacency, we're not interested in it. Now, lest you think, well, that's not me. If you can't make it out for these few days to hear about missions and evangelism, shame on you, then you are lazy and complacent. If you can't be inconvenienced to come out to a missions conference and you've got other things going on that take priority over that, 
then that ought to reveal your heart. Then you're exactly the kind of people who need to be out listening to this. And every, every year we have this, all the work that goes into this, and not that many people come out. And I say that that's why we need to hear this book, because that shows beyond being proud and arrogant, it shows that we don't really care. And so this book reveals to us that God cares, and you need to be out each night. Now, we may talk about global missions, and we may even give financially for global missions, but some of us are just too comfortable, or I should say are not very comfortable, with the thought that God wants to demonstrate his compassion upon those in in distant lands who are savage and wicked, and therefore are like the ancient prophet Jonah, God has called us as the recipients of his saving compassion in Christ to proclaim the gospel of repentance to a lost world, a world that we may not be personally attracted to, but we're to proclaim it anyway. And so today we want to begin our study of Jonah, and I take it you're you're all there by this time, Jonah chapter 1. We want to look at chapter 1, and we'll see God's compassion on Jonah as seen in the lives of some pagan sailors. These are, message, these are messages to Jonah about compassion. He who, who disliked God's compassion on the heathen, Jonah's going to get a very, very potent lesson on God's compassion for the heathen in this chapter. Verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come before me. Now, the book of Jonah starts off by introducing us to the prophet himself and telling us that God had commanded him to preach to the people of Nineveh. Why? Because he said their their sin is great. They are great in wickedness. Their wickedness has come up before me. Now, in telling us these truths and telling us as Jonah is establishing, as most prophets did when they started a book, the historical setting for his book. He's establishing that. But about 150 years ago, it became very fashionable, very popular in certain theological circles to question whether Jonah was a real historical character. Some liberal Bible teachers, because of the miracle of the great fish swallowing Jonah, they began to interpret the book as an allegory, as a fable, as a myth, maybe even a parable. And they said that the purpose of the book is not to be taken literally. This book just has some some moral lessons that we're to learn. In fact, I recently looked at a book that that was all that it was about. It it had to do with prejudice, and of course, it applied it to today's situation. It was a book uh, that was advocating some really wicked things, that we should be very tolerant for all people. I completely missed the the point of this book. And why did certain scholars, so-called scholars, move in this direction? Why did they why did they just dismiss it as historical? Because rationalism ruled their thinking. Rationalism ruled their thinking, and therefore when rationalism rules your thinking, you reject any supernatural elements spoken of in Scripture. There are no miracles in rationalism because you can't rationalize it. In fact, that's why it's a miracle. You can't figure it out. And so they left no room for God to perform any miracles like being swallowed alive by a fish. So they chose to reject Jonah as a historical figure. But the Bible, listen, does not present Jonah as an allegory, does not present him as a fable, does not present him as a parable. The Bible very clearly presents Jonah as a real factual historical person. Notice that in the first verse of the book, we're told the name of Jonah's father. His name was Amittai. Now, that certainly sounds like he was a historical person because only historical people have historical fathers. 
Parables don't have historical fathers. Allegories, fables don't have historical fathers. And this isn't the only time that Jonah and his father are mentioned in Scripture as real figures in history. In 2 Kings chapter 14, just listen to this. You don't need to turn there. But 2 Kings chapter 14, starting in verse 23, we read this. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of, of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king of Samaria and reigned 41 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel sin. He restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke, note this, through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was of gath Kepher. Now, this is very interesting. These verses tell us that Jonah was a Jewish prophet who lived during the reign of Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II ruled over the northern kingdom of Israel towards the close of the 8th century BC. At that time in history, you have the northern kingdom called Israel, the southern kingdom called Judah. And we're even told what town that Jonah came from, the town of geth Kepher. Now, that may not sound like much to you may not sound very important, but it is extremely interesting to note that the village of Gethhefer was near Nazareth, Christ's boyhood town, which means that Jonah, like Jesus, came from Galilee. Now, why is that interesting? Because if you recall in the New Testament, specifically John 7.52, the Pharisees used the fact, they said, that Jesus came out of Galilee as an argument against him. They said, search, meaning search the scriptures and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. In other words, they were saying Jesus couldn't possibly be a true prophet and certainly not the Messiah because he's from Galilee. And they said, and if you search the Bible, you'll discover that no prophet has ever come out of Galilee. So, so Jesus can't be coming to us out of Galilee as a valid prophet. But listen, they were wrong. They absolutely were wrong. They missed it because Jonah the prophet was from Galilee. And in addition to this, they, there was another thing they were wrong about. Jesus was actually not from Galilee. He was born in Bethlehem of Judea. He only grew up in Nazareth of Galilee. He was really from Judea. Just as Micah chapter 5 said he would be from Bethlehem of Judea. So not only does the Old Testament present Jonah as a real and historical figure, but, but it's beyond that. Jesus himself made it very clear that he regarded Jonah as a real person. And he regarded his book as accurate history. He even used the account of the fish swallowing Jonah to point to his own miraculous resurrection. In Matthew chapter 12, we read this. Remember that the Pharisees came to Jesus and asked for a sign. They were always looking for signs. They wanted something stupendous, some supernatural sign that Jesus was the Messiah. And Jesus said, an evil and an adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And now listen what, to what Jesus said. It was history to him. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus verified that Jonah was historical. And following this statement, Jesus tied the preaching of Jonah with the coming judgment that the Pharisees and that generation would face. He said, the men of Nineveh 
will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Folks, it seems rather clear from Scripture, especially based on what Jesus said, that we are supposed to accept Jonah as a very real and factual Jewish prophet, just like any other real and factual Jewish Old Testament prophet. Thanks for joining us for Verse by Verse today. Did you get a sense of just how much God loves us, even though none of us deserve his love? This radio program features the teaching ministry of Steve Kreloff, pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. You can find lots of resources by visiting our website, lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported radio ministry, so we depend upon you, our listeners, to help us cover the costs involved in producing and airing these radio Bible classes. We're very grateful to each of you who give to support this ministry. If you would like to partner with us through prayer or a financial gift, please give us a call at 727-239-0306. On our next broadcast, Pastor Steve will continue in the book of Jonah. We'll see just how deep God's love is. For Pastor Steve and the rest of the staff, I'm Jerry Pruden inviting you to join us then here on Verse by Verse. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's We're here to give you strength between Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.